Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. In this episode, Kjartan Tortor Darsen, Chief Executive of Saga Film Nordic, discusses how production's resuming in Iceland and the country's opening up to producers from overseas. Jim Casey, President and Executive Producer at Painless Productions in the US, explains why he believes quick turnaround lockdown content will be short-lived and insurance isn't the biggest hurdle for him in restarting production. But first, Michael Carrington, Director of Entertainment and Specialist at ABC Australia, talks about why the public broadcaster won't be rushing back into high-end scripted drama anytime soon, but is looking for new shows via a fund set up to stimulate the nation's production sector as shooting on some series gets underway again. The broadcast veteran, whose credits include stints at the BBC, Turner, Hit Entertainment and Zodiac, also talks about the challenges of restarting shoots in locations close to indigenous communities and the impact on kids' TV, plus the wider domestic and international markets. Here he is talking to C21's Nico Franks. We are probably in the transition on the other way out of the coronavirus situation. Uh, Nine weeks ago, we were a normal broadcaster, lots of people in buildings, studios, and on location. Uh, And then very quickly, we had to move people outside of the ABC buildings, and they all went home. There's about 80% of ABC staff across Australia working from home, uh, and yet we're still able to broadcast multiple channels, multiple radio stations, and our digital platforms. So it's been quite ex- an extraordinary journey. It feels like a long time ago now, but, but you know, six weeks ago, we were in the middle of crisis management. Uh, it was very anxious time for everybody. Production stopped, uh, and we had to pivot to a different way of working. And now we're just seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. Although, you know, we're very mindful that people talk about second waves. And so while the ABC moved very quickly to working from home. We're probably being a bit more cautious about moving back into the office and we're, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks uh, monitoring the situation and planning how to transition people back into offices and then you know potentially how we start studio production and then a little bit further down the line probably September October uh, potentially start some of our location shooting. And so what has entertainment on ABC looked like in those six to nine weeks? Uh, Remarkably, audiences wouldn't have seen very much of a difference, potentially because we're working so far in advance. Like most broadcasters, we commission a year in advance. Some shows take six months to make, some shows take 18 months to make. So actually on air, on television and radio, there's, there isn't that much difference apart from obvious things like the news and current affairs shows, which can react very quickly and in a timely way to reflect what's happening in Australia at this time. But the, the big general entertainment shows uh, were all still there. Apart from a couple of um, entertainment shows that are studio-based and normally have big audiences, and the audiences love those shows. Mad as Hell and The Weekly are two shows that had to completely change the way that they operated. No audiences, fewer crew, even location catering, uh, or rather studio catering had to change, and they had to introduce those you know, physical distancing protocols. So that, that's been, uh, that was quite extraordinary, for, especially the first couple of episodes of those shows where the hosts 
normally react to a live studio audience. We're now reacting to silence, but they work. They, they pivoted very quickly, and those shows are some of the most popular shows on, on our television screens. So we've seen a huge spike in you know, traditional linear television viewing. We were in decline, like most broadcasters around the world. Uh, it wasn't a massive decline, but, but certainly year on year, things were, were looking a little gloomy. At the same time, we hadn't seen the take up of our digital platforms to the same extent. Whereas now we have both linear and digital connections, which, which have grown. We have a platform called iView, which you know was initially launched 15, 16 years ago as a catch-up service. But more recently, in the last sort of 12 to 18 months, we're trying to uh, transition that platform to more of an experience, a streaming experience, if you will. And so we've been building the catalogue and we've been trying to be smart about introducing some high-profile, surprising shows like Killing Eve, for example, launched on iView and have done very well. And in these last nine weeks, we've spent a lot of time pivoting very quickly in some very strategic areas to serve audiences. Uh, one of those is education. We, you know, like most countries around the world, children were kept home from school and they were being schooled from home. So we provided a big push to help parents schooling uh, their kids. And then the second thing we did was introduce a big arts package to iView. That is a mixture of performing arts and arts documentaries and other arts type content to nourish Australians who were missing out on going to the theatre and the, and the cinema. And that's worked extremely well uh, and is, is very well appreciated. We obviously, we were um, also, Easter fell in the middle of all of this. And so we quickly pivoted to bring some more religious programming to um, iView and to television. Uh, we had Anzac Day, which is a big celebration from the armed services. Uh, and obviously Australians go out normally into the streets and celebrate that, but we weren't able to do that. So we were able to bring those live events through being on location, but with a very lean crew. Uh, and then very recently, we, we've just introduced a package of over 200 hours of Australian content to iView. So we went around and bought up lots of licenses to encore material, shows that people reminisce about, and that's doing extremely well um, in the current environment as well. So we've got this rich experience now on digital, and I think what, what we were planning to do over the next six to 12 months has happened in six to 12 weeks. Uh, and now the key, I think, for us is to leverage that momentum to keep audiences on iView and to leverage our linear services so that that experience is a seamless one between television and uh, iView. And we've seen in Australia production getting back underway, as you mentioned, and it's not an ABC show, but Neighbours has kind mm. of been one of the, the examples that people have picked up on around the world as beginning again and kind of um, leading the way and producing under coronavirus. What are some of the shows on ABC, particularly scripted shows that are going to be being produced under coronavirus and, and what will those productions look like? As we move towards the end of the year and the regulations lifted, we will pivot quite quickly to return to production. So we had a couple of uh, major series almost complete. Harrow and Wakefield are two big series for our primetime slot on Sunday that we had to stop. And so we've continued to script and to do other development work ready to go on location and to, to start filming those again. The issue we'll have, though, is that remote Australia, where we mostly film, 
has big, large indigenous communities, and those communities are the most vulnerable, as it turns out, with regards to COVID-19. So it's likely that the locations we use won't be available to us until well into the year, so towards Christmas probably, um, which isn't too bad. But then the summer hits uh, and the temperatures rise and uh, it all becomes quite difficult. So we're still in the planning stage. Uh, We don't see production happening very soon. Uh, We're taking our time. Uh, We're working through what the new protocols might be, you know, in terms of introducing a safety officer, for example, who'll be responsible for maintaining the physical distancing in helping us with actors. I mean, that's a big challenge for us. How, how do we do performance when you have to stay apart? Um, how many crew can be on location with you? How do you get makeup and hair and costume? All of that stuff is still being worked out. It's early days for us. We see the light at the end of the tunnel, but probably not till the end of the year. I guess another aspect to getting back into production is that some of our shows, particularly the high-end drama, usually has an international talent as either a lead or as part of the main cast. And so those people quickly left Australia uh, and are now at home, either in the UK or Los Angeles or other places. And there'll be uh, some time before Australia starts flying again and allowing people to come in. So we're also working with the screen agencies here in Australia and the government on what that might look like and potentially how can we bring cast back to Australia to help us finish those those series and start new ones. Also, the ABC has launched the Fresh Start Fund. So tell me a bit about that and how that's intended to support the Australian production community. So very quickly, we realised that having stopped production across Australia, we wouldn't have content coming into the schedule as it was intended to be delivered. So while audiences haven't seen an immediate impact this year, the likelihood that early next year, when we're expecting our new primetime dramas and high-end factual content to arrive, that that is unlikely to happen now. So people in the creative arts industries are obviously at home, not working, uh, and we wanted to take advantage of two things. A, there was cash we had no longer going out the door um, because it was no longer needed to fund current production, and B, that the Australian industry was doing nothing and the likelihood that those people would be in distress because they're not able to tap into some of the government funding and subsidies that are available to other industries. And so we reprioritized um, some of our cash flow and we've created this $5 million fund to do two things. One, to support current production or, or production that should be in production, if you see what I mean. And so we'll continue to script, we'll continue to fund the key people who are needed to create those shows. But on the other side of that, we're we're developing um, content. And that is really about finding new, fresh voices, um, bold ideas, potentially new formats, new production models. So we're taking advantage of the situation to get people thinking about how the future might look post-COVID, but also, uh, you know, now that we've really pivoted towards digital, what does digital content look like for us and how can we get there quickly? And so part of the funds uh, is looking for innovation, whether it's on-screen talent or whether it's production models or whatever it might be. These are the ideas that we don't know about. These are the ideas we don't know we want. And hopefully this money will stimulate that. And that, that, that fund is meant to go wide across audio, video and digital content. 
and it's in all different kinds of genres as well but i suppose some genres are are more easily able to be produced in in this kind of new reality that we're we're seeing so where do you expect a lot of the the kind of pitches to fall into the fresh start fund has been open for just over a week now and we've received around 400 submissions already almost half of those ideas are music based and the other half are either uh, factual content looking at short form particularly uh, and then there's some you know bigger drama ideas so i'm seeing a real mixture of content coming through um, and you're right it's the it's the digital content that is probably easier or faster to get into production in terms of non-scripted than it is the big scripted pieces so hopefully we'll be able to find some ideas that we can actually execute on as you know you throw the net out you collect 100 ideas you whittle them down to about 10 and then one gets made so hopefully we'll get more made than that but the idea is that you know we're stimulating the market we're keeping people in jobs while they're not able to work and we've seen in australia the uh, abandonment of australian content quotas in order to to make life a bit easier for the commercial broadcasters in australia does that put quite a lot of pressure on the abc in terms of its support for australia and particularly when it comes to children's tv because as i understand it that's probably the genre that's going to be hit the hardest by those quotas coming down uh, the lifting of quotas on the commercial networks will have a wide reaching impact on the australian production industry in as much as they just won't be required to make the content that fits those quotas particularly children's uh, it's a very familiar scenario to be in for me while i was at the bbc the same almost the same sort of scenario happened in the UK uh, and children's programming was affected most immediately here the abc is probably the biggest uh, supporter of children's content and invests a lot of money in drama and animation and factual content for children's so we're ready willing and waiting and wanting for those ideas we actually over the last few years have partnered with our commercial network friends and a couple of shows or major series of have been co-produced between us so actually it's going to be uh, the, the pressure on us is is not greater than it was for the children's content um, i guess where it might put more pressure on us is is really in the scripted drama primetime area with the less requirement on australian content people will be knocking on our door no doubt to support their ideas and you've got a great deal of experience um with children's content and children's television how have you seen both the australian kids tv industry deal with the crisis and also the international kids tv industry in terms of children's production i think the amazing thing is that on the animation front things haven't changed that much people have moved out of studios and gone home but they're still delivering amazing animated content bluey for example is in its second season and is delivering to schedule and to budget from people's homes which is amazing uh, and there are many other shows the animated variety in southeast asia and here that are still working and still expected to deliver i think there might be a slight delay just because it takes a little bit longer uh, to render and then to approve but really the animation front is is all go children's content has obviously been affected in the same way in terms of scripted children's content we had a number of shows in production in western australia where uh, we just had to stop that and i think it'll be a while before we're able to get back to that particularly as you know we're expecting children to perform in those those dramas i i think the 
there's probably a similar experience around the world. Um, as I talk to colleagues in other parts of the globe, their animation is, is continuing and the live action has stopped. And I can see that potentially live action drama will be slow to restart in terms of children's programming. In your role since joining the ABC, obviously it's a lot more domestic than some of your previous roles at Zodiac and Turner. Do you get a sense of how the international TV industry is going to come out of this? Audiences want content, audiences need content, and we've seen a massive shift to television and our digital platforms by audiences wanting those experiences. So the need is not going away. We're gonna to have to find a way of producing content. Uh, it could well be that content becomes a little bit more localized and parochial than it has been in the past. I think international travel will, you know, people will be nervous of it and a particularly high profile actors and producers and directors will be nervous of it, so they're more likely to stay at home and produce at home. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that, you know, potentially that will stimulate, I guess, more rich and diverse content. In Australia, you know, we we are focused on the domestic market simply because it's not offered by, you know, the, the Australian culture is not understood and, and represented by international content. So, of course, we focus on it. But our content does sell widely. And actually, we, we punch above our weight. Our dramas are internationally recognized um, at festivals and bought by mainstream broadcasters and streamers. And I think that that distinctive flavor of Australia comes through our content. And it gives you, or gives the audience, rather, um, an experience that they wouldn't otherwise get. And I, so I... I expect on the other side of this that we might see more uh, authentic, real, local stories from around the world that actually will seamlessly swap between each other, all given that we'll have to pay for the rights. But I think it'll be actually very stimulating to see what comes out of this. Michael Carrington from ABC Australia. Shooting on some series in Iceland, including Netflix volcano drama Katla, has already resumed, and saga film Nordic is moving ahead from the 25th of May on original series Sisterhood for Viaplay and local SVOD service Simin, with Sky and NBC Universal also on board. Chief Executive Kjartan Tordarsson told Drama Quarterly editor Michael Pickard what steps the company is taking to minimise risks on set and how the country is opening up to producers from around the world. We have lined up three productions in a row to commence filming you know now and and end of summer so pretty busy at the moment um iceland has opened up for foreign crew to enter the country from actually the 15th of may there is going to be quite rigorous testing done with uh, everybody coming to the country. And actually, the film industry is working on an exception from the rules. So we will, we will test everybody when they arrive and quarantine them for, for uh, 24 hours before we get the result of the tests. And if they are negative and do not have any symptoms, they basically can work under conditions in the industry. So basically, we are supposed to keep the crews isolated for at least two weeks. And then if everything is good two weeks later, then basically they can kind of like re rejoin society in Iceland uh, 
and you know most most shoots are longer than two weeks when it comes to you know TV drama or, or films. So it it, it it's kind of like two week measures, I would say. And then on the fifteenth of June, then the country will open for everybody to travel, and then everybody will be tested uh, at the airport, and that basically means that from fifteenth of June the tourism starts again or it, it's uh, opening up uh, as a country. There's only been one confirmed case in the last seven days in Iceland and the last person to get out of hospital was yesterday. So basically the last person that was lying in hospital because of COVID, uh, you know, left hospital yesterday. So we are we're pretty virus-free at the moment. And and so, I mean, has, has Saga Film been sort of directly affected then if... Um... Kind of Iceland has shut and reopened relatively quickly, and Sweden's carried on. I mean, have you had to stop production in any place, or um, how has how has Saga Film been affected generally? We were in post production and finishing and delivering three shows, and actually, post production has not been affected at all for us. So we we were lucky in, in that sense that we didn't really have anything on in that particular moment. That being said, Sisterhood was supposed to start shooting in April. So we have postponed that already, but you know, it's not a huge problem. It's not a big deficit for us to, to postpone one month. I guess we've, we've been lucky. I, I know people that are you know struggling with restarting their projects because it's simply uh, stopping in the middle is very very difficult in in every sense of the word you know so getting back in business is is important and i actually there were there were no big projects kind of like in the middle of shooting katla had just started shooting when this hit they had shot a, a, a couple of days but they went quite fast back into action by very, very strict measures on the set. They divided the the set into four different groups and they shot in two parts of the studio and they kind of like created a lot of rules to, to comply with only 20 people working together. Uh, so they got back shooting in the middle of the crisis. What are some of the measures you've seen that other countries will probably look to adopt or things that you've, you've seen that are, are being put in place at the moment? The Danish uh, uh, film industry, the Swedish film industry and, and the Icelandic film industry have all created rigorous rules about how to continue. So I guess that's what everybody else has to do. You know, They have to basically make sure that they are doing this safe, safely for the crew and the cast. One very important aspect for us is that on the 25th of May, we are back to 200 people uh, gathering. So that means, you know, nearly all our productions are fine with uh, scenes, uh, even close encounter scenes are allowed after 25th of May because then the two meter rule doesn't uh, uh, apply anymore. So for us, we are kind of like fully back in business normally shooting, but we still will do uh, testing every day. You know, we will measure temperature for everybody before they arrive at SAT. You know, if anybody has 
a cough or a problem, you know, that uh, they're told to stay at home. So, you know, we are we are kind of like dealing with this on uh, emergency level, even though we're back in business. Has this, you know, these two months that you've had, has that changed your development process? Have you been doing lots of like, I guess, digital writers rooms and, and just had more chance to develop scripts? Actually, a lot of projects have been in the process of being written. And then, okay, we have now extra focus on developing. Let's, let's rewrite some of this stuff that uh, we feel needs adjusting so a lot of uh, activity has been going on on the development side on our uh, on our side so i think you know like i said i think in the, in the next two months we will see much more how the how the the business is going to look like and uh, and you know many of our buyers need to see sports starting again and uh, i think we're hoping to see premier league starting again you know this is very very important for the industry because uh, sports is a huge huge income source for the broadcasters and we need them healthy and we need them working and we need them happy uh, in order to to move the drama business forward and and when you're rewriting shows you know uh, or you know looking at sisterhood or, or Stella Bronquist are you setting these shows now in a, a post-covid world are people social distancing or how do you think stories are, are gonna sort of shape out after this funny you ask that I just read uh, a rewrite of uh, one of our shows that uh, all of a sudden, we had two scenes mentioning COVID, <laughs> and you know it's a new reality, and people people you know have to deal with that. And and in the scripts, you know, we're always trying to be real and we're tr- trying to be realistic in in everything we're doing. So yeah, COVID will definitely affect content. In 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 our case, it's two very short mentions. You know, it's like uh, post COVID world. People are a little bit more aware of other other problems that could occur in society. And, yeah. and when you speak to broadcasters, are they kind of um, are they keen to have that mentioned, or are they kind of telling you that we want we don't want any kind of COVID dramas? We want you know escapism or comedy. What what are they kind of telling you that they want at the moment? Buyers have been uh, asking for lighter material, more local material, comedy. Blue sky, you know, these kind of keywords. I think COVID will only give us a little bit more pressure on, on you know, positiveness and escapism. Uh, so uh, I, I see that trend continue without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, you, you sort of mentioned there about, you know, local dramas. Do you think, you know, the, the travel restrictions or... Um, that the international side of the industry is going to take some time to kind of come out of this and, and we will be seeing more local domestic dramas that are being pushed overseas? I think when you can say, well, we can shoot it all contained in our market, that that actually is kind of like a low risk decision for the buyer. So if you if you are trying to sell a, a production that has to be shot in five different countries and with talent from all over the world, it's just going to be so much more difficult. Uh, But what I'm also seeing and having a lot of conversations now is that I'm getting questions, can we shoot this fully locally in Iceland that was supposed to be shot somewhere else? You know, so that's something uh, we are definitely looking at and we can definitely do that. We're also seeing questions like, do you have a project that you were going to shoot in Icelandic? Can you now shoot that in English? Because I think English-speaking projects are probably going to be longer to come back 
than the local content in Europe, uh, simply because of the size and the complexity of these shows. So we are looking at right now doing a couple of English-speaking shows just fully locally in Iceland. You know, but you know we can bring in talent right now, so it's actually it's very doable uh, what what people are asking us to do now. What are some of the challenges that you've faced? You know, has insurance been a, an issue? I know that's something the UK kind of producers are, are obviously wary of getting, you know, when will they be able to get insurance again for these productions? No insurance company is actively insuring COVID problems. So uh, I know that there is a, a, a discussion both in Germany and then on European level to actually create a, an emergency fund for European producers to apply to basically get insurance uh, on COVID-related issues. So basically creating a fund that we, we the European producers, are, are allowed to apply to if we run into problems. On the bigger project, that's an issue. On the smaller project, it's not. We are obviously just trying to limit the risks here by, by being very vigorous on, on how to do it. But traditionally, you know, ensuring, for example, key cast insurance and stuff like that, we, we haven't done that ever in our industry in Iceland. So, you know, for, for us to be specially insured for these kind of things, is something we haven't done before, and we will look to uh, the European Union supporting us in, in this if, if, if it does come up. Kjartan Tortor Darsen from Saga Film Nordic. Painless Productions is a Los Angeles-based unscripted specialist whose clients span the gamut of US cable television, everyone from A&E to Discovery, Animal Planet, HGTV, Discovery and Travel Channel. President and executive producer Jim Casey believes the temptation to produce quick turnaround lockdown content won't find favour among audiences beyond the short term, and says insurance isn't the biggest hurdle for him in restarting production. Here he is talking with C21's Clive Whittingham. Were you in? Were you actually in production with stuff that you've had to put on hold? Yeah, um, Dead Files, Holes or Files are both thirteen uh, episode orders. Dead Files had only shot two episodes, so it didn't really make sense to go into post yet. We didn't really have enough material to get that machine run, so we decided to kind of fall back, keep digging up new stories on that. And then, uh, but Holzer Files had shot five. So that did make sense to go into post. So we've been on post on that show. We've been working, editors have been working from home. We have story producers also working from home. So we've been able to have a lot of that staff working from home. And then we have some other projects that are in uh, pre-production. Uh, two projects now are in pre-production. So we're able to continue through in pre-production. You know, the, the, the biggest hurdle for us is like everyone else is it's the shooting part. It's generating the footage to post. You can only do pre-pro for so long and you run out of footage in post. Um, but what, we're, what we have been doing is kind of stretching out pre-pro as best we can. So for instance, usually we might have six or seven weeks of pre-production with six or seven people. We'll, redu we'll reduce that number of people and use that money to stretch out pre-production hoping to outlast this shutdown so that by the time we're ready with pre-pro you know we're kind of like racehorses uh, at the gate waiting for the bell you know as soon as the government says we can go and as soon as we deem it safe to go we're gonna go 
Yeah, that was you kind of preempted my next question there because obviously the network will have budgeted you for a, a certain length of production and that's your budget, which I presume, given the challenges they're facing, isn't going to get any bigger. So if you're just ticking along in pre-production, you're burning time and budget. How do you how do you balance that? You know, it, the, the balance is really kind of trying to keep people employed, paying their bills, feeding their families. Uh, I'm, I'm very close with a lot of people who, who've been working at the company for, you know, some 15 years. So to me, that's most important is to make sure that everyone is still, still has a home to go home to and, and still is in good shape with, you know, feeding their families and taking care of themselves. So we're constantly shifting people around. Okay, this post stopped here, but we, we know this person has skills that we can use in pre-production on this other show. So we're just constantly moving people around to different, uh, to different positions on different shows to keep them employed for as long as possible. It's a never-ending game of the challenge. Where do we, you know, we ran out of time here, move them over here. It's, it's constant scenarios and, and shifting things around. Is there a, a moment in time that that becomes a critical situation where you can kind of do that for a few months, but let's say two months of that you can do, but if this lockdown goes on for four or five months, then it becomes, you know, the situation changes. Is there a point in time of that? Right now, I think most of us are really hoping that July we can get out there and start shooting. I think it's going to depend also on the show. A lot of us are working obviously on, on programming that doesn't require so much travel. Um, so what we're going to do is still hope to go to Europe, still hope things will open up, but plan B is how do we adapt this show to do it domestically and not leave the country? And then how do we do it, if it gets even worse, to do it regionally, maybe on the West Coast? So we're constantly playing those games. You think that that is going to be an issue moving forward? Do you think you'll look more at local programming, or do you do you think television production will just be able to get back on the plane, be that six months down the line or whenever it is? I wish I could answer that with a with a uh, a positive answer. I, I don't even think Anthony Fauci can figure out exactly when we can uh, get on these planes. So for us, it's not so much about figuring out what those dates are. It's, it's, you know, it's like producing always is. We're looking at the situation that it, we're given and we adapt. We're constantly adapting. The talent got sick. Okay, who can replace that person? So we're constantly playing these imaginary war games, what if, what if. And right now, all we can do is do, take our best guess. I, I would like to think that we're not going to have to make everything feel like local theater because i don't think that would make very compelling television no knock on local theater but i think that what we're going to have to do is find more creative ways of traveling for instance i might not be able to use the dp i always use i might not be able to travel him or i might give him three days and say meet me in georgia in three days drive there here's an RV, you know, so that you don't have to stay in hotels. So it's constantly playing those. It's like running a military operation. It's how do we get everybody there safely? How do we keep them there safely? How do we feed them safely? How do they work together safely? And we're constantly playing those games because masks and gloves alone 
are not going to solve all those problems. Has there been any temptation to pitch quick turnaround, short turnaround, COVID diary kind of programs, clip shows, archive shows, shows filmed on Zoom just to, as a stopgap? It's been tempting and, and we've had to kind of uh, not give in to that temptation. I think a lot of companies, a lot of producers are, a lot of people are bringing us these ideas. What tends to be working or at least what the buyers seem to be buying is a COVID story twist to a show already in existence because that will, that will work for them because those characters are already known by the audience. This is just one more twist in their storyline. But, you know, when we sell a show to a network, they're thinking about, they're extrapolating out, okay, the budget is based on how many times we can repeat this, how well we project it's going to do over five, seven years. I'm assuming, I think a lot of us are assuming in a year, two, three years, no one's going to want to be reminded about this time in history. So they're not going, we're not gonna be forgiven by the audience for doing the best we could under the circumstances. They expect our shows to look like they always have. And that's what we're trying to do. So we just sold a show um, that's, we're just about to start pre-production. We're kind of early on. And it is not a COVID-19 show. It is a show that existed, was created before this whole, whole thing started, but it's very, the, the format organically fits with the situation where it's mostly clips and then there's a round table. So think kind of ridiculousness kind of a thing. So most of the work is done in pre-production, acquiring those clips, interviewing the people who found those clips, that kind of stuff. So that is by far most of the production schedule. Then what we'll do is go in and shoot what needs to be shot, but that's toward the end of the production schedule. So we're hoping by then we can gather a small group of people into a studio with a small crew, be smart about how we do it. And that that is something we'll be permitted to do and it will be safe for us to do. Getting We've heard that insurance companies might start taking pandemic out of their policies. So they'll insure your show, but if there's another lockdown, you're on your own. Is that something that you've considered? How will producers get through that? Do you share the burden with the broadcaster? I mean, what happens then? I don't see that as the, the biggest problem. I think that if the networks start putting the cost of insurance on us as a company, on our overhead, then I think that's going to be an issue. But the, the way I look at it is I live in Southern California. You know, we can't get earthquake insurance on our homes. We can't, you know, you live in Malibu, you can't get fire insurance. You live along the Mississippi and other parts of the country, you can't get flood insurance. I literally live in a tsunami zone. There is a sign 50 feet from my house that says you're in a tsunami zone so we take risks i mean this is what we do but they're calculated risks that's what tv producers do and i realize that if you're doing you know a, a huge reality show and you've got a massive set set up in the philippines and suddenly you have to shut everything down that's very different so I may not be thinking about this because those are not the kinds of shows I usually do. My shows are usually lean and mean with a, a moving crew of, say, 15 people. I don't have massive sets. Those people will probably have a bigger concern than I do. But right now, that's not a personal 
or a corporate concern for me. Jim Casey from Painless Productions. That's all for this episode. Remember, if you'd like to share your story of coping with COVID-19 with the international TV industry, email us using the address press at c21media.net. There'll be more from the podcast tomorrow, but in the meantime, stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 